HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a nonprofit with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Change menus, change lives. Learn more at chefscollaborative.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen. Join me every Wednesday, except today is Monday, it's a special episode, as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Welcome to episode number 75 of Feast Your Ears, and it is in fact a Monday morning. I know that's weird for all you regular listeners if you're out there. Uh, we've inserted a special episode because I have the opportunity, and I have on the phone with me right now uh, Paul C. Riley, who is the executive chef and owner of Beast and Bottle and Coperta in Denver, Colorado. And thanks so much, Paul. I'm really excited to get to talk to you this morning. Hey, Harry. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm good. I'm good. We're having a little heat wave here in New York, so we're already into the low 90s this morning. How's the weather in Denver? We actually just got through with a couple of 100-degree days here, but it's a gorgeous summer morning, this, or late spring, I should say, this morning. Yeah, it's definitely, this is the first the first, uh, the first real heat wave. We had a couple hot days, but I feel like yesterday uh, was like the first beachy Sunday that we've had here in New York this summer. Nice. So, uh, Paul, thanks so much for taking time out of your out of your busy schedule. Um, I uh, I want to just start off uh, and hear a little bit uh, from you about sort of who you are. So, when you sit down next to someone on a plane and you get to chatting with them, at least I usually try to talk to people I'm sharing an armrest with. Um, you know, what do you say? How do you introduce yourself? Sure. I um, uh, think the first off thing is. Um I'm uh, I'm a New York native. I'm I've been in Denver now for uh, almost 15 years. Um, I'm a father of three. I uh, and I'm a chef. I think that's probably the the, the first three things that kind of occupy most of my time. Sure. Um, the chef of two restaurants. The first one is uh, is Beast and Bottle, which is farm focused food concept in Denver. 
And then the second one is Coperta, which is our um, newest venture, and it uh, celebrates the food and wine of Rome and southern Italy. Sounds sounds delicious. Uh, the last time I was in Denver was 2008, and so uh, sad that you guys weren't there at the time. Well, the, the, the Denver scene has grown exponentially since in, in the last, really in the last of like four years, maybe four and a half years. Uh, it was still it was still a little unsure of itself in 2008. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I did have some really great barbecue at a place in a strip mall, kind of you know, a little little ways outside downtown. That's the most memorable meal I think I had when I was there. See, and that's funny because now everybody says that Denver has no barbecue scene. So. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so you grew up in Yorktown Heights, New York, which I know well. I grew up about one town away, um, which is about an hour north of New York City. What took you west to Denver? Uh, a, a job. I, uh, I actually was, um, was, was living and working in the city and um, decided it was time to get out of New York. Um, and I did some research on some chefs that were doing cool things here at the time. This would have been 2004. Uh, 2005, pardon me, and um, and um, there was a food and wine best new chef. Uh, his name is Brian Moscatello, and he was opening up a new concept. And I applied and kind of moved my whole life out here on a whim with no intention of staying in Denver. And uh, and um, here I am, you know, you know, with with a family and two restaurants. <laughs> years later, yeah, pretty uh, pretty deep roots now that you have out there. Absolutely. So, uh, so what? Uh, you know, so it's a little different. Uh, I mean, I remember it being a little different. I'm sure it's a little different than growing up in the tri-state area around New York. Are there things that you miss from growing up out here? I, I was really pleased in your pre-show questionnaire that you called a sandwich that's longer than it is wide a wedge because that's very specific. <laughs> I feel like to where we grew up, that people call it a wedge. I, I agree, and I and I and I love that you had that that, that question in there as well. Um, yeah, I mean, what do I? I'm, what I miss? Um, I miss I miss the deep autumn. That's for sure. Right. Uh, you know, Colorado has a a winter, a summer, a very short spring, and a very short autumn. Um, and I, I miss the you know the like the, the the autumnal celebrations and just like how it just envelops the, the you know this season in, in uh, you know from late September to, to early November. That's the first thing I think of. I I miss. Um, Oh, the food here has come a long way. There's very few things I can. I, I miss like a really good meatball sandwich. I would say. Sure. <laughs> that, that, that concept hasn't really caught on here, and also the, the concept of a uh, of a breakfast sandwich on a Kaiser roll. Many have tried here in Denver, but it ultimately just has not caught on. It can't compete with breakfast burritos in this town. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, Sam Sifton had a had a quote recently about how like the bacon, egg, and cheese in New York is like the. You know the sub- most sublime breakfast food. So, oh, yeah. you know, certainly it's, it's in New York, we, we love that as our as our breakfast food. <laughs> um, and, and then, what about things that you that you you know are are uh, I guess that you love about Denver that we don't have here? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind from the small amount of time I've spent in Denver is access to the mountains and just how big the landscape is once you get outside the city. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can be in. You know, it, it, in the, the most gorgeous mountain area within you know 25 minutes outside of Denver, so that's that's certainly one of them. Um, you know, I also just think, I mean, the weather. It's I I I I, I don't know. I think I think it's it's more the secrets out now. But uh, I mean, <laughs> Denver's got 300 days of sunshine a year, and it's it's uh, the weather here is it can get very high and it can get very cold, but also 
you know, 60, 70 degree days in January happen all the time. And right. And 67 it, degrees it, out in the mountains is, is amazing. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much picture perfect. So, um, and you know, I also think just like the, um, um, the, the, the sense, you know, there's a lot of transplants here in Denver. So, uh, it's very easy to, people are always kind of looking to, to meet new people and, and, you know, cause I think they've started a new life and it's kind of uh-huh. a very, um, open, friendly community vibe here in Denver. And it's, it's, it's very welcoming. So, uh, and so, I mean, do you think that that, uh, that welcoming feeling is one of the reasons that slow food nations is happening in Denver this week? <laughs> I, I absolutely. Um, I I I, uh, I really think that the the sense of Denver is the perfect spot to host local nations because um, of its sense of community and really a sense of community among the restaurant uh, restaurant um, you know restaurant tours chefs bartenders. Um, it's not competitive. Everybody's trying to build each other up and, and bouncing ideas off each other and really trying to make Denver a great food town. I mean, I, I love that that you mentioned the the sort of lack of competition. I feel like that is something that's changed in the New York food scene in the last ten years or so. I've had a lot of discussions with with chefs in that time period about the fact that you know, fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, chefs were incredibly protective of their sources, and if they had a you know a line on a special bottle of wine or they had a connection to a farmer, they were very very unlikely to share that information. And now I feel like that's changed quite a bit. And that fits into a lot of the things that, you know, Carlo Petrini promotes with Slow Food. Um, and so I think that that's a, you know, it's a really, it, and it's great to see Slow Food choosing a city that I think most people still, I mean, and this is coming from someone who's a New Yorker, um, if you said, you know, like, where would be a great place for Slow Food to have something like Terra Madre but in the United States, I don't think Denver would be high on a list initially. Like, I don't think the knee-jerk reaction would be to say, oh, we should do it in Denver, but it is clear that it makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, and especially, I think it's great because you get to then have people yeah. like Alice Waters, people like Ron Finley come out and, and do things in Denver um, and inspire people the way they have in other cities. I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I think, you know, when we, as, you know, as, as, as chefs, as the restaurant community, when we found out it was, it was actually being held in Denver, the first reaction was, you know, are you sure? <laughs> uh, you're not pulling our leg. This is actually happening. Because I agree with you. It seems, you know, right off the bat, it's a little off, um, you know, out of, out, of, out of character, I suppose. Um, but, you know, I think if you're, if you're looking for a place that is on kind of the precipice of culinary greatness and also has, um, you know, terrific local product, then, yeah, it's just, you know, it's the middle of the country. Both coasts can get here. So yep. I think that's also kind of inviting, you know, that, 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 that sense of, uh, like I mentioned before, that sense of community among anyone who's going to, any attendee for the, uh, for the weekend. Right, right. So, uh, so the festivities kick off uh, on the 14th. Um, and what is the, uh, you know, you're hosting, I notice, a lot of events. Um, do you have a particular one that you're most excited to be a part of? You know, I'm really excited about a dinner that I'm doing on Saturday the 15th with um, Renee Erickson from The Walrus and The Carpenter in Seattle. Cool. And uh, also uh, Drew Deckman and uh, Jen Jasinski, who's a kind of our, uh, she's, um, she's one, you know, if not the most renowned Denver chef. She's number one or number two, and I'm, she's a recent recipient of uh, James Beard Award for Best Chef Southwest. But um, the four of us are doing a... Um, 
a responsibly harvested seafood dinner, which again seems odd, you know, in the middle of the country, but um, but it's to help support Smart Catch, uh-huh. which is a recent, yeah, yeah, recently very very awesome cool program um, that is you know recognizing or, or really it, it's it's there for people who are serious about you know uh, go, when they go out to eat they want to know the restaurants that are uh, that are serving sustainable fish responsibly harvested fish so if you're you know if you're serious about that check out smart catch and then also um, kind of honoring the, the chefs that go out of their way to make sure that they are serving those same fish and you know we're going to be talking about you know which fish are sustainable their catch methods uh, you know where where they're coming from because um, you know, a, a, a fish, you know, a, a fish can be caught in Seattle is totally good to go. But if you go north of British Columbia, it's not. So right, and and the, and the public needs to know about that. So so it's uh, you know, it's I'm I'm really excited about that dinner actually. That sounds. I mean, it sounds great. The you know the other thing that I think is uh, you know years ago I remember everybody sort of feeling like you know you shouldn't eat fish far from the coasts and all this stuff, which in the modern age I feel like is kind of silly. It's far more important to know where it's coming from because consumers want to eat fish, right? Whether you're in Denver or Las Vegas or in you know on the coast of Maine or in Seattle, the consumer wants to eat fish, and so and and you as a chef probably want to cook it and and have it be part of your menu and have a well-rounded offering. Um, but you know with with modern transportation, you know, there's you can catch a tuna in Montauk and it gets flown to Tokyo the next, you know, that night to be sold the next day. And so fish is traveling actually, you know, in some cases much farther out of the water than they do in the water. Exactly. And, and you know, and as Americans, you know, like, you, like, you know, we, we get most of our seafood from eating out in restaurants. Right. And, and uh, you know, yeah, exactly. You know, with, with modern transportation and these magical things in the sky called airplanes, you yep. can be around the world in, 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 in one day. I mean, I, actually, right before we got on, the, on, on this call, I was on the phone with our fishmonger, and, we're, you know, we're getting fish flown from North Carolina. It'll, it is caught this morning. It'll be uh, on my door tomorrow morning before 11 a.m., so... Yeah, and, in many cases, I think some of these fish are probably traveling better than we are on air. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I think that it, you know the your point about um, a lot of Americans getting a lot of the fish they eat out in restaurants. That means that that fish is probably a lot fresher. You know, if I go to the supermarket today in New York City to buy fish, that fish might have been purchased. You know, the wholesaler might have bought it at Fulton Fish Market on Friday. And then maybe it got delivered to the store on Saturday, or might have even be older than that. And then if I buy it today on a Monday, that fish is actually, in fact, older than the fish you're going to serve tomorrow to your customers. Uh, absolutely, and uh, you know, and and I, I think I think as you know, as a culture, we're very adverse to serving fish at home, yep. unless it's like on a backyard grill, and um, you know, it, it, it's so let, yeah, let you know, let the chef do the work. Like you said, it's probably going to be. Uh, it's probably going to be, for the most part, fresher, and you're going to hopefully that chef is going to educate you onto where uh, you know where that fish is coming from and why you should be eating it. Yeah, um, I wanted to ask you a, a, a question that uh, I mean may may be kind of a sensitive topic, but I don't I don't mean it to come off you know come off that way. But I was looking at the menus for your restaurants and for for Beast and Bottle, and uh, you know they look they look awesome. They look very much you know like the kind of food that I like to eat when I go out, and you know I have a you know obviously. I'm on, we're on Heritage Radio Network, um, have a clear understanding of what the costs are for, for the kind of quality that you're serving. I'm wondering how your pricing is perceived in Denver. 
Um, I spent a lot of time in New England, um, in different small places, and and you know in uh, in Maine, uh, in a couple of sort of resorty kind of you know touristy areas where in the summer they're now in recent years you know have been some chefs from new york who've gone there and opened restaurants sarah jenkins is one who owns porcenia and porchetta here in the city she opened a restaurant in rockland maine that is amazing but a lot of what i heard from locals i know there is oh man it's so expensive it's like new york prices and i'm wondering if that's something that happens in denver as well Sure. Um, yeah, so, I mean, certainly, and it's, you know, at Beast and Bottle, we're certainly on the higher scale of of, um, of of where or how food and how much you're paying for food in Denver. And, you know, and, and I was actually in New York about three weeks ago, and there were a few spots I went to, and I, and I said, Beast and Bottle is more expensive than this. Right. And, and I think a lot of it does have to do with fish. Um, you know, we, we it, it does... Uh, in order to serve the right fish, um, you know, and and get it and get it here, um, we do have to charge a little bit more for that. That's just you yeah. know that, that's kind of the position of where we are. Um, and I think also, um, you know, everybody wants to eat local and they want to eat organic, and we're still kind of educating the public on um, that that does cost more money, right? Sure. Um, and and um, and it's. Uh, I would say it's on the higher scale, but I think we, you know, we, we, it's a higher scale for Denver for sure. And we we put ourselves out there to say, you know, this is, you know, know where your food's coming from. And the fact that we have the information and our, and our team is, um, has the knowledge to pass that on to the guests. Um, you know, they're, 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 it it, it is seen as, okay, I'm going out to dinner. I'm getting served. I, I care about eating this kind of food. And I know that that's going to come at a higher price point. Well, and and I think I mean I love some of the stuff you're doing. I mean I love that on the front page of the Beast and Bottle website you can call ahead for your head. I mean the the, the idea of you serving. You would be surprised how few people take us up. On. Oh gosh, because I mean it just seems like such a great. I mean you know there's a lot a lot to kind of for me to dissect there, uh, but. <laughs> But the idea that, you know, not, not, of course, not only are you (laughs) you clearly using the whole animal, right? You're serving the, you're serving the head. Um, but that's an experience thing. I mean, that's something that, you know, where no, first of all, very few people, I mean, like almost nobody, I would guess, um, perhaps present company excluded would cook a pig head at home. Right. So already you're talking about a meal that someone can't even experience at home. I mean, you talk about people not liking to cook fish at home. They can cook fish at home, but nobody's, nobody's going to cook a pig head at home. Um, so you get the experience. If, if you are, I want to come over to your house. <laughs> well, next time you're in New York, come by. We'll, we'll do it. Um, you know, and then you're talking about, I mean, I think it's, you know, you get a pig head and you get sides for four guests, right? So, Correct. And it's 150 bucks. So, I mean, that's actually a, that's a screaming deal. I mean, that's, you know, and I, I, I know. don't tell anybody that. Harry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping to get more people to take you up on it and to go to Beast yeah. and Bottle. And, you know, because I, you know, I doubt it. I, you know, I would hope that people are, you know, would go there and then come back to have the fish and, you know, not necessarily just come for the pig head. But I mean, I think it's a, you know, I really think it's a great, uh, I think it's a, I think it's great. It, it's it's super fun. It you know it it's it, 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 like I, the way I described it. It's fun. I mean, you're you're sitting there with a few of your friends, and then all of a sudden there's a pig head that's dropped on you. And yeah, you know we do it with a couple of sides and some crostini and jams and pickles, mustard and stuff like that. And you kind of just you know make it your own and and get down on it. We we 
I think like the number one group that comes in for that is like a bachelor party. Sure. You know, like they'll they'll go out to a nice dinner and have that and some cocktails and then, you know, head off to, uh, you know, whatever, you know, to other bachelor night activities. But it's a it's a uh, it's I'm surprised how few people take us up on it because we get a pig's head in every single week. And, um, you know, I mean, it always gets turned into charcuterie regardless. But sure. uh, I, I, I wish I just wish more people took us up on it. Yeah, I uh, I cooked lamb hearts uh, yesterday uh, on the grill. I picked some up uh, last week when I was here at the studio for my show. The Heritage Foods warehouse is around the corner, and so I popped in, and they had some frozen lamb hearts there. So I grabbed them and figured I'd put them in the freezer and then you know pull them out and, and defrost them and cook them once it was hot out. And yesterday it was in the 90s, so I pulled them out and I you know let them let them defrost and marinated them with some garlic and sesame oil, um, and then grilled them last night and we had some friends over and one of those one of the guests was a 10 year old and she ate it and said oh i love this steak and i said well it's actually heart and she sort of twisted up her face and i said and and it was a great way to sort of lead into the discussion that like you know when you when you slaughter the animal you got to use the whole thing and if you thought the heart was delicious because you thought it was steak why is it gross now that you know that it's heart and so it was it was an interesting uh it was an interesting discussion really fun to have with a kid I love that, and and yeah, you shoot, and that's certainly part of our mission at Beast and Bottle is to say, look, you know, uh, this animal was it was raised with integrity, and we're trying to bring that integrity to the you know to the plate by saying, you know, this this was it was cared for, and it should be cared for, and and it, it must be honored by being able to serve every single part of it. And it's funny, heart is actually one of those ones that has gone pretty well for us. Um, you know, like you said, well, people love it. I mean, it's basically it has the same exact ten- texture as tenderloin. Right. If yeah, you know, if, if you if you love that, um, you know, if you if you love a filet mignon, I think you'll totally love lamb heart or beef heart. It, yeah. it's, it's very similar. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a, a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage. Um, but when we come back, uh, we'll pick up uh, where we left off and keep maybe talking about heart. <laughs> Sounds good. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chefs Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chefs Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs, including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters, who acknowledged the influential role of food professionals on our food choices, our collective personal health, the vitality of cultures, and the integrity of the global environment. Chefs Collaborative believes that the greater culinary community can be a catalyst for positive change by expanding the market for good food and helping to preserve local farming and fishing communities. Change menus, change lives. Learn more about Chefs Collaborative at chefscollaborative.org. Hi, I'm Akiko Katayama, host of Japan Eats on Heritage Radio Network, where you can discover the latest topics and deepest knowledge of Japanese food culture with my cool guests. 
Tune in on Mondays at 3 p.m. to hear about topics like the science behind Japanese dashi, a rare conversation with a traditional sake brewer, Sasushimasta, famously beautiful and obsessive Japanese coffee culture, secret recipes of ramen, how to make Japanese style pickles, and much, much more. Please support my show and all of the Heritage Radio Network's programming. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Thank you so much. I hope to see you on Japanese. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and today I have Paul C. Riley on the phone from Denver. So, Paul, before the break, we were talking about uh, talking about heart, which I guess could be like the gateway awful for some people, right? People who might not want to eat liver or kidney or, uh, you know, even weirder stuff if you can get it, lungs and things like that. Um, I wanted to ask about your kids. So you have three children, seven, four, and two. Um, how, do, how do they feel about eating a pig head if it were to show up on the dinner table? <laughs> they have not delved into that side of it yet. They they know that Daddy has some odd things down at the restaurant. I think probably the most, especially my oldest, Grace, she is just not in. She's kind of a, a plain Jane eater to begin with. But um, my middle son, Owen, um, he, he'll he'll try almost anything. He like he uh, and especially with fish. He loves fish. He he saw a picture once on me cooking an octopus. And he he thought it was yeah, I think he had just seen uh, Finding Dory and, you know he thought it was, he thought it was odd that I would be cooking Hank the octopus right. but uh, but then he he actually tried it with me and he liked it but I mean, him and I will get down on like some funky blue cheeses or like any and like a, I mean I think there was another day recently I was cooking in the kitchen making dinner and he was eating like black truffle salami with me and just not even thinking about it but nice. but in terms of like the other stuff. You know the, the 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 odd bits, if you will. Right. They they know that it's there, but they they haven't delved into it yet. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I have a <laughs> I have a seven year old and a and a three and a half year old. Uh, actually, my seven year old is almost eight. Uh, she's actually sitting in the studio with me listening today because she's off school, and she you know she definitely uh, she likes weird stuff too. She loves octopus. She loves uh, squid. She really likes natto. Um, we make natto. really we make natto at home, and she eats it. We were just handing it out in a, at a festival on Saturday, and so she was my assistant telling people about natto. It's pretty, pretty fun. I mean, I you know I find it uh, interesting. I mean, I you know I grew up, uh, or I guess we both sort of grew up in a time and a place where I don't know about you, but you know we always had margarine in the refrigerator because it was supposed to be uh, supposed to be more uh, you know more healthy than butter. Um, so uh-huh. I'm, 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 you know, and I mean, we ate, you know, we, we definitely like had, you know, strained, my parents had like, not, not really weird, but like, you know, they, we ate a lot of, you know, we went out for Indian food, we went out for Japanese food. We ate a lot of ethnic food, but, uh, you know, didn't cook a lot of awful at home or anything like that. So, you know, my kids growing up were like lamb heart is a regular Sunday afternoon barbecue instead of hamburgers. <laughs> is, uh, I think it was, I my, love it. my daughter just handed I, me a I, note I to remind, parents- go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I I think that my parents inadvertently got me on awful because uh, they would they actually would give me liver and onions when I was a kid and tell me it was steak and I would just scarf it down. <laughs> nice, nice. A little little bending or obfuscation of the truth there for kids. I feel like that's something you learn as a parent. Like I, you know, I I think about that a lot. That you know, I think about things my parents told me and I sort of think back on it and I wonder, you know. Oh, I see what they were doing there. They weren't exactly lying to me, but they weren't exactly telling the truth either. 
Exactly. <laughs> um, so my uh, my daughter just handed me a note to remind me to mention she also really likes eating bugs. Um, she's ah. a big fan of roast crickets and mealworms and that kind of stuff. You know, the uh, I gotta say, she might be more experienced than me in that sense. I I, I haven't really get delved into bug cuisine yet. Um, I feel like it's I feel like it's coming. I mean, I don't know if anyone's doing it in Denver. I met some folks uh, a couple months ago in the Bay Area who are raising their they, they have a, a company they're doing, you know, uh, chapolines, like roast crickets and stuff as for snacks. Um, but they're vertically integrating their production where they're starting to grow and raise all of their own crickets. Um, so I guess it's sort of it. like farm to table cricket uh, service. <laughs> We, we actually were joking that there is a few people doing it here in Denver, and, and you know, mainly they're doing, like, Latin cuisine. Yep. But uh, we were actually joking recently in the kitchen that someone locally is going to get on raising these pretty soon. And, 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 you know, and what you had said, like, there's going to be, you know, locally grown, pasture-raised yeah. crickets showing up on, sure. <laughs> on menus here fairly soon. Yeah, I mean, you know, why, why not, right? Um, so I, yeah. I wanted to also ask you a little bit about Coperta, your other your other restaurant, um, and I wanted to to know, you know, I, I feel like often people who are opening multiple restaurants they have some kind of a common theme, um, you know, so people who are doing either meat focused or people who are doing say Italian or have a pasta restaurant or pizza place, you know, and they open multiple versions around that theme. Um, Coperta seems, you know relatively different, at least from, from an outsider looking in, from Beast and Bottle. And I wanted to know what the inspiration was for that. Yeah, totally. Uh, so, so, yeah, Beast and Bottle being very meat-focused, um, but, the, you know, the, the hallmark of, of that concept is really our relationship with, with Colorado farmers and ranchers. And when it came time to open up a second restaurant, you know, we wanted it to be, we knew that the, that, 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 that relationship with the farmers and the ranchers and, and, you know, the, the, the fact that Pizza Bottle has been successful by using, by, by being very ingredient-driven. So we knew we wanted to have another ingredient-driven concept. Right. And um, my business partner, who's also my sister, we both traveled Italy a lot. Um, you know, she actually lived there. I, I traveled there as, as a kid, you know, with, with long hair and a backpack and stuff. And, you know, we, we, we both kind of just fell in love with Italian food and really Italian culture, and we, it, we're, like I mentioned before, Beast and Bottle being meat-driven, the food of southern Italy is very ingredient-driven, but more focused on fish and vegetables, Yep. and we just kind of thought it was kind of a nice segue between the two to say, here's the meat restaurant, here's the, you know, vegetable and, uh, and, and seafood restaurant, of course, both of them have pasta, and both of them have charcuterie, because we're very passionate about those as well. But, um, yeah, it was kind of like, you know, like like really a true like sister restaurant relationship. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the sort of the food culture in Italy. I love that the restaurant is not open for uh, for breakfast, but you have a walk up espresso window. That opens early yeah, in the morning. Breakfast because breakfast in Italy is is it as a cigarette and a cup of espresso. Exactly. I mean, that's my memory from my time. You know, I was I I haven't spent a lot of time in Italy, but I do remember that like everywhere you went, you could just walk up to a like counter and get an espresso. Like whether mm-hmm. whether you were at a rest area on the highway or whether you were in a tiny town square, and that was just so much a part of what you did there. Very much so. Um, I you know I I. Uh, 
wondering, you know, if I was going to come in, say, tonight, if I happened to be in Denver and I was coming to Coperta, what would you recommend off the current menu? I mean, I, I love the idea that you have the mozzarella bar with two different, with one buffalo and, you know, from Italy and one, uh, you know, cow milk from Connecticut. I think that's a really, you know, it's an interesting contrast to allow people to say, okay, I want this particular mozzarella and then I want these things with it. Uh, but what would you recommend off the current menu if I was coming in right now? Sure. Um, I always recommend every guest to get our spazulia, which is kind of a, um, a seasonal antipasti plate. Spazulia is a slang term from the Campania region, meaning like eat a lot of little things or lots of different choices. And um, it's always very vegetable-based. And my chef team and I were walking the Denver Farmer's Market the other day. And just, we basically, you know, it's about five or six different things that are very seasonally based from crudos to cold-style vegetables, fried-style vegetables, wood-fired vegetables, but I, I always recommend the Cezulia. Um I absolutely love our Roman-style fried artichoke. Uh, the last time I was in Rome, we were on, like, a mission to, to go around to the Jewish ghetto and yep. find as many different styles of artichokes as we could, and we came back and said, this is how we're doing it, and I think it's just craveable and delicious. Oh, man, I really wish I was in Denver tonight for dinner. <laughs> Uh, it, 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 it really, like, I never tire of cooking that dish or eating that dish. And then, um, you know, pasta-wise, um, you know, we, again, we did some painstaking research into, uh, into Bucatini alla Matriciana last time we were in, in, in Italy. And, and, you know, it's a, a Bucatini with a red wine and San Marzano tomato sauce that has guanciale and red onion and it's just it just hits the spot it's like that perfect comforting food to like send you off into the night with a with a glass of wine yeah. and and our chicken i know it's odd that that a, that a chef would recommend chicken on the menu and we were like all right if we're gonna do chicken it's got to be awesome and and we, we we got our take on a pollo al diablo which is uh it's it, it's got heat but it is salty and it's juicy it's got great char from the wood fire grill and again just something craveable and i first-timers got to get it um well that that sounds awesome i uh, i can't wait till i'm back in denver i don't know when it will be but when i'm there i'll definitely coming in for dinner awesome um, well, we were just about out of time here, but I wanted to make sure, uh, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to make it to Denver July 14th to 16th for Slow Food Nations. I wish that I was going to be there, um, but I will definitely keep an eye on social media and I'll sort of like live vicariously through everyone who's there um, eating delicious food and seeing inspiring speakers. Um, do you have any any other events coming up um, at the restaurants or for you personally that you wanted to wanted to mention? Yeah, yeah. You know, why not? We um, actually, as kind of a kickoff to the Slow Food uh, Weekend at Beast and Bottle, we're actually uh, we're John Currents from City Grocery in Oxford, Mississippi. He's actually doing a takeover um, at oh, that Beast and Bottle so, that now night. I'm even so more bummed. Like, I'm not going to be there. Yeah, he's going to be doing like a you know a, a, a little Southern food takeover with Colorado ingredients, and that'll be a Wednesday, July twelfth. Um, and then also for our one-year anniversary at Coperta, we are doing a dinner with Katie Parla. She, she's kind of like Miss Rome. She's got a really fantastic app um, called Taste, uh, Katie Parla's Rome. She's got a book out called Tasting Rome. Um, that I'm is, pretty sure she's in Italy right now shooting for another book. I, I think it's a Southern Italian book. Yeah, 
Yep, and yeah, Ed, Ed Anderson, who did the photographs for my book, which comes out in August, is there with her. So I've been sort of salivating over his Instagram the last couple of days. Oh, I got it. Oh, then I'm going to have to check it out. Um, but yeah, she's going to be with us for Dinner Coperta on um, August 22nd. But uh, but besides that, I mean, like you know, you gotta you gotta check out uh, what's going on for Slow Foods online. There's, I mean, it's it's gonna take over the city for the weekend. It's, it's uh, and Denver's not that big of a city, so it's gonna be pretty omnipresent throughout the whole weekend. Oh, that's that's amazing. Well, thank you, Paul, so much for making time. I'm sure you guys have a lot of work getting ready for for your lunch service at Caperta and then your dinner service at Beast and Bottle tonight. Um, Great. Well, thanks a lot for the opportunity, Harry. It was, uh, it was great speaking with you. We'll, we'll have to catch up next time we're b- I'm back in New York. Yeah, absolutely. Please uh, let me know, and I'll definitely let you know next time I uh, land in Denver. Uh, you Sounds can, good. You can see uh, more information online, including menus, delicious pictures, and hours at beastandbottle.com and also copertadenver.com. And thank you, everybody, for listening to Feast Your Ears today. Uh, thank you to David Tatashore for engineering. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org and on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to make a shameless plug here for my first book, which comes out August 1st. Vinegar Revival is a guide to making and using vinegar at home. You can pre-order it at vinegarrevival.com on Amazon or from your local bookstore. Please take a moment to like the show on iTunes if you did, in fact, like it. If you didn't like it, send me an email and let me know why. Harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. You can follow me on social media at thefoodballer. And usually I would say talk to you next week. But since it's Monday, I'll talk to you on Wednesday. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.